I always do like to challenge myself and I do like to learn new things. And I think that's part of me loving what I do. I think if you do the same thing or you sit back and say, I know it all, for me, it's pretty much all over. Kirsten Tibbles is known as the Queen of Chocolate. She won gold for Australia in the Pastry Olympics and she founded Patisserie School Saver more than 20 years ago. I think there's one so she has all these accolades but I think one of the things that I always find about Kirsten is that you go somewhere around Australia you see amazing patisserie you find out the backstory and somewhere that person has studied with Kirsten she is an incredible educator really generous with her knowledge but always pushing forward with her own creativity Uh, we've been trying to get her on the podcast for a while and i'm super excited that the day has come kirsten welcome to dirty linen thank you what an introduction well it's true um i think the most recent place that that happened to me was this incredible cafe in bayswater on the um outer suburbs of melbourne the cafe is called hatter and the hare i was looking at their patisserie cabinet and it was extraordinary just one of those you know amazing layer cakes um beautiful chocolate work everything gleaming elaborate uh you could just see the love care about the incredible skill that had gone into it and I was like how is this so good and then they were like oh our our pastry chef worked alongside Kirsten at Saver School for um for ages I was like okay it all makes sense now so (laughs) (laughs) have you been out to Hatter in the Hair? No I'm terrible I tend to um not have a lot of balance I work far too much so I didn't get a lot of time to go out and about well, if you did, you would see the fruits of your um, your sharing, your labour um, all around, yeah, all around the place. Um, Kirsten, let's start there with, you know, <laughs> this uh, lack of balance. What does keep you busy? Tell us, tell us a little bit about the world of Kirsten Tibbles. Yeah, I really love what I do and I think that there's sometimes a catch with being so passionate and driven with what you do because you just probably overcommit and sometimes don't actually stop. So I really, really love every aspect of my job. But, you know, whether it's doing a new cookbook, whether it's um, a television show or making new creations for the online classes, it's just really full on and really busy. And then you throw in travel and demonstrating not only in Australia but overseas as well and it, it does become quite a juggle. Mm. Well, tell us about Saver, like what what happens there and and how does it tie in with the online classes that you do? So Saver, actually, we turn 21 this month, 21 years old. Happy birthday. Thank you. We do hands-on classes for everybody, really, people who are wanting to enter the industry, people who are in the industry, and we really dig deep and go through technical aspects or problems that people will regularly have with certain aspects of products, whether it be tarts, handmade chocolates. And then for those people who can't physically come in, we have online classes, which I'm fortunate I started that 11 years ago and we've added one tutorial every week for 11 years. So the library now is huge, well over 500 videos. So if someone subscribes for $12.95, they access everything instantly. So that keeps me very busy as well doing tutorials and then we have retail shop 
where people can purchase specialty chocolate and ingredients and equipment to recreate what they learn. And from the creative side of things, like how do you, it it feels like, you know, you're learning something, you're sharing it, uh, but then you're also pushing forward in your own creativity. Tell us about that side of it. I think the sharing part inspires me to create because it inspires me to excite people and make them want to um, bake or cook or get into the kitchen. So that is um, a lot of my inspiration. I am inspired a lot by nature, but I would probably write some weeks up to 30 recipes a week. And then I have a team in the kitchen that would then test those recipes. And they're for different things. At the moment, I'm testing for my TV show, The Chocolate Queen, which I film next month. So that's 50 recipes that we're testing. Um, And we're mixing in there a little bit of online class testing. I go to Bundaberg next month, so we're doing preparations for that. But I really like developing concepts and ideas. And it's it doesn't always come out perfect the first time, but I also like the evolution of it to perfect it and improve it each time we make it. So I have been known to test things up to 20 times to really create the ultimate product. I have a I feel if you're going to invest in ingredients and you're going to invest your time to recreate one of my recipes, it really does have to be perfect. I don't want people to, and we've all been there where we've got a recipe online and we've tried it and we're like, well, that's not right. Or it said vanilla in the ingredients, but it doesn't say where to actually add it in the method. So it's really important to me that everything is perfected. I can't believe you would write 30 recipes in a week because I'm imagining we're not talking about like a chocolate brownie recipe. There's a little bit to it, I reckon. So, I mean, is that like how does that happen? I mean, talk us through, talk us through, like go a little bit deeper for us with that. I really enjoy the science behind patisserie and chocolate. So having an understanding of formulations of what you need, for example, to bake a cake and, you know, how much flour would you use and where you would use baking powder and why you would use bicarb soda. And then if you do use bicarb soda, you need something acidic to offset the alkaline flavour. So things like that, having an understanding of the science and the chemical reaction of ingredients really helps. So what I actually do is I write all the ingredients I want to put in the product and then I add weights to it. So I'll add the weights and then I might go back and adjust it. And then I might say, oh, you know what? That would be really nice with pecans. Or when I'm whipping the egg white, I'm going to add a little bit of cream of tartar because I don't have much sugar. So that will stabilize the meringue. It'll help to stabilize. So I really look at both the science, the flavor, what the end product's going to look like, but I really enjoy the whole aspect of doing it. Actually, I've, it's, what are we now, 9.15 in the morning, and I've already written four recipes this morning. <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't even had a shower. This is okay. embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's amazing. What about this, you know, being inspired by nature? Tell us a bit about that. Uh, Nature is truly amazing, not only because it produces these beautiful ingredients that we love to utilise and being able to buy local produce and um, take that and take it to the next level, but also the texture of nature, the colour, 
you know, for example, if we look at a fern, I think, you know, how would I incorporate that texture or the beautiful um, finish on the top of a fern from um, on a cake? How would that be done? And then that sort of goes and um, you, sort of <laughs> you sort of go in a cycle then and it comes out the other end, usually something completely different to a fern, but it's a really great starting point. Mushrooms, for example, we have not edible, but the beautiful red mushrooms with white dots, you know, could we replicate that in chocolate? Absolutely. Mm, and then depending what I'm doing, do we make it complex or how do you make that in chocolate but make it easy so people can make it themselves? When we talk about creativity in cooking, I guess sometimes people get very possessive. Um, they feel like it's their idea. It's, you know, it should always be attached to them. How do you... How do you feel about this idea of, you know, copying or originality when it comes to pastry and, I guess, cooking in general? I'm actually the complete opposite. I try, if possible, not to make a product twice. There are a couple of products that I've designed and invented that people around the world want me to demonstrate, so I accept that. But I feel if you do the same product all the time or you don't want to share what you're doing, you're not going to evolve as a professional. So, one, we put things on social media. When you put something on social media, it's no longer yours. You don't own the idea. You don't own the concept because you want people to like it. You want people to engage with it. But then you don't want people to copy it. I don't think that that's right. So, Put it out there and then you need to step above what you've already done and create something new and better what you've done previously. And you'll never do that if you keep recreating the same product or if you don't share, if you hold on to everything. I think that that mentality doesn't work in today's society. So, I mean, do you ever see a pastry creation um, and think, oh, that's kind of interesting. I wonder where I could take that. Like how, how does it work in, in yeah, the reverse in that way? I try not to. I've got probably more books than most chefs, but I don't actually look at them a lot because I think even subconsciously you'll take concepts and ideas from other people. So I try to steer clear of that and try to, you know, I draw a picture first. So I draw a picture and evolve it from that. And I look at a combination of matte and shine. I look at a combination of textures and then add the flavors to a product um, by doing it that way. So I'm not one, you can certainly look at a picture and think I'm going to turn that around and make it into my own. Um, but I like to start from scratch myself. Mm, yeah, so interesting. So, Kirsten, I mean, I would love to dig dig back into the origins. Like, how did you come to be doing all this? Like, I was a kid who was happy to, you know, bake cakes and cookies, but I've certainly grown into an adult who does not have the the patience to even think about doing anything close to what you do. Tell us about, um, yeah, your childhood and how this how this journey began. Well, it didn't start off too well. Luckily, I've improved since then. I actually made a chocolate cake at my best friend's house. Her mum had a brand new oven and we put a cup and a half of bicarb soda in the chocolate <laughs> cake instead of a buck 
cup and a half of flour and it exploded in the brand new oven. And being kids, we didn't go back until the timer went off and it was baked on. So she, I don't think she ever actually removed all the marks on the oven. So um, that was at the age of eight. Um, but I didn't let it deter me, so I continued on and I baked a lot from a very young age. In fact, I cooked at home and had a little cake business. I was unwell as an adolescent, so I didn't go to school probably from year seven, um, really. I didn't go to school much. I could probably <laughs> count on, you know, my hands and toes the number of times I went to school between that and starting an apprenticeship. So I actually made cakes at home and sold them. I did cake decorating classes on a Saturday um, and it just evolved from there. I really liked the artistry. I did start a chef's apprenticeship first and I pretty quickly realised that that really wasn't the direction I wanted to go. I felt, and it probably would have evolved into something more creative, but as an apprentice, as a chef, it's a lot of vegetable preparation and a lot of cleaning where I switched to doing patisserie and, you know, straight away it interests me, even if I was weighing ingredients, how they work together and the science. I did a lot of competitions even as an apprentice. I represented Australia um, really quite young did Easter egg competitions. So I really did any competition I could and I realised quickly that by doing competitions it pushed me to better myself and be better at what I was doing because I practised and practised. Wow, it's such a fascinating story and, I mean, to think about I don't know how much you want to go into what kept you away from school but I can imagine that, that sort of being disconnected from formal education or what most of your peers would have been doing would have been pretty challenging and then to go into an apprenticeship where you had to I guess really work so hard and to put yourself up for competition I mean it just it's what a remarkable journey yeah look it's I think although I feel as well with my career that you my parents put so much in fortunately for me they were both school teachers so they did try to instill as much education as they could while I was at home but even when I started my apprenticeship, they were very heavily involved in assisting me. I used to start at 2am. So I lived with my dad and he would drive me 45 minutes at 2am to drop me off at work. And then he would drive the 45 minutes back home to then get up at seven to go and be a school teacher. And my mum was a school teacher as well. And she used to be responsible for picking me up and taking me to my dad's. But this tells you how long I work. She would not normally get home before five. And I started at 2am and I never finished before 5pm. But they would diligently wait and they didn't have mobile phones then. I'm giving my age away. So my mum would have to sit by the phone at home to wait for me to call. So she couldn't go out because she'd have to drive and pick me up. Um, so they did that for three years until I was 18. So um, I don't feel like I'm disadvantaged because I didn't go to school because I think I'm passionate and tenacious enough to, um, you know, drive myself. And I think that life's journey is a really big, you know, education and school. So I've certainly picked up a lot of things um, even without going to school um, by doing what I've done. What is it about um, about pastry that engaged you so much? I think it's the artistry and the creativity of it. 
And I think a big part of it as well is I'm a people pleaser. So it's it's satisfying other people. So giving a product to someone and making them happy. So all cakes and chocolate, when you serve them up to someone, people are, oh, oh, wow, oh, that's beautiful. Not only does it look great, but you, it's delicious. And I really love that aspect of it, that making someone happy. Yeah, I think that's a, a common theme among many pastry chefs that we've chatted to on this podcast. I mean, I'm on a sort of a little bit of a mini campaign to have people eating more desserts in restaurants. I feel so often people get to that end of the meal and, you know, think, oh, I shouldn't or they're too full. But I think that that leads to a general sort of de-skilling of, of pastry chefs or, you know, restaurants, I think they don't need a dedicated pastry chef. Where do you see um, that side of the industry, like pastry in restaurants? I think... In restaurants, I think it's always a good idea to have the dessert on the main menu if you can fit it because I think a lot of people plan their meal, you know, we're really hungry or we're not that hungry or we're going to sh- this is a, a type of restaurant where we share where if the dessert is actually on the main menu, you actually calculate and plan that into what you're going to eat where a lot of restaurants have a separate menu card for dessert where it's sort of an afterthought, like, oh, okay, oh, wow, yeah, I've, you know, completely forgot about dessert and we're, we're still drinking Chardonnay, which isn't going to go well with dessert, <laughs> you know what I mean, where if it's given at the start of the, the dining journey, I think it's taken into consideration much more. I think it really depends on the establishment and the chef as to how much energy goes into making desserts. I do feel that some restaurants it is an afterthought when you see it and I also think there's some restaurants that you go into um I've been into some restaurants where it's almost like a savory dessert menu I'm like oh tomatoes okay polenta yeah which sometimes works but I think for me dessert is an indulgence and you still need to have a little bit of that you know apple tartar tan and it can be a modern interpretation of that but it's those classic flavours that resonate with people um, and make them want to order from the menu. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's such a good point about having the dessert on the main menu. I reckon that is a really good call. I think the savoury in dessert, I think partly that's because, you know, there's this whole, I guess, push against sugar. But I think it's also because so many restaurants don't have a dedicated pastry chef and, you know, the the chef that ends up doing the dessert menu is much more used to working with savoury ingredients. And, I mean, I think some of those... Some of those desserts can be really interesting and work really well, but I I agree. I think that, um, yeah, whether it's a classic like a tarte tan or something with chocolate, that there's, um, yeah, we don't want to not only lose those flavours and ingredients but lose the skills that go in putting those desserts together. Yeah, I agree. And I think sometimes chefs make things to please chefs. They don't necessarily make things and pastry chefs are renowned for doing that they don't necessarily make things to please consumers so we always need to keep in mind that consumers are more likely going to order something if they're familiar with the elements or the flavors in that product Um, and it's good to have a, a range so that they're really quite different where sometimes in restaurants as well I go and I think they look very similar so regardless of what dessert I choose the the differences between the desserts aren't varied enough for me. 
Mm. What's a what's a real good bang for your buck dessert for a restaurant where perhaps um, you know they want to improve the dessert menu, push the buttons for their diners, but perhaps you know they are a bit pressed and not necessarily trained in pastry. I think there's some really simple and quick win products like a, a chocolate fondant or a liquid centre chocolate pudding that it takes nine minutes or ten minutes to bake during service, which isn't a lot of time, but can be prepared a day in advance and it's really quite easy to make. Um, even if you don't have an ice cream machine, you can make the most amazing no-churn ice creams now with you know, incorporating air and sugars to get the perfect consistency to scoop. So it doesn't mean a huge investment in um, equipment if you don't actually have it. Things like tiramisu, which are classic, but you could do a twist on that and use a concept of tiramisu. But in summer, for example, you could use um, berries to soak the sponge fingers and, you know, still put a chocolate mousse in there or something as well. So Things that you can pre-make, I think, and actually they get better after they've been stored a couple of days are really quick wins. They're easy and the customers are going to love it. Mm, yum. I'm such a fan of tiramisu and will always order it. So I think that's, yeah, that's a that's a really great call. And I think when, if you just think about, you know, something oozing, people just love that, don't they? <laughs> think about a soft-scented pudding. That is always going to be a win. They do love the ooze and it shouldn't be the reason you make a dish, but it's always good in the back of your mind to think, is that Instagrammable? Because people, uh, often I hear people at different tables say, oh, could you hold on? Just let me get my phone. I want to film <laughs> this. And that's going to be beneficial to the restaurant as well if um, people are going to actually capture that and share it and tag in the restaurant and where they went. And then other people want to go in and experience that as well. So that little bit of theatre or the ooze um, certainly is beneficial for social media as well. Yeah. Um, Kirsten, I feel like the answer to this is probably no, but is there a, a skill or a technique that you're still working on? Um, actually, I filmed Dessert Masters. I don't know if I'm meant to say that for Channel 10. And on that show, I actually did quite a few things for the first time. I haven't worked in a restaurant for 25 years, so me doing um, restaurant-style products isn't something that I do regularly. So I really felt for that show before I went on, I had to push myself to, you know, work a little bit with nitrogen and um, even uh, siphon guns and, you know, things that are not something that I would normally use, but I really loved it, to be honest, um, working on um, balancing different recipes. So I always do like to challenge myself and I do like to learn new things. And I think that's part of me loving what I do. I think if you do the same thing or you sit back and say, I know it all, for me, it's pretty much all over. So um, I would never say I know anything and I know everything and I would never say that I'm not learning something because I would say that happens weekly actually. Wow, I love to hear that. It's um yeah, I love to hear that it, the journey continues. Uh, where are things at in the world of chocolate, Kirsten? Like um, I know there are always, you know, chocolatiers are coming or chocolate makers are coming out with with new products. People are trying new things. What what are some of the boundary pushing things with chocolate at the moment? 
we're moving away from individual chocolates at the moment. This is globally, not just in Australia, and we're going more towards a, what we call a snacking bar. So it's not even a moulded chocolate. It's, it's um, you know, a hand-dipped chocolate bar, but it might have whipped nougat and a bit of ooze of caramel and a crunch layer on there. They are really evolving quite quickly globally. Um, and people are still buying individual chocolates for a gift, but also chocolate bars have certainly increased in popularity as well with lots of inclusions, whether it's roasted buckwheat or, you know, caramelised almonds, just to balance a chocolate um, with a crunch, so a variation in texture, but they're um, certainly very popular as well. And what about in the competition side of things, like where are people pushing the boundaries? The competitions are different. I was president of the jury for the World Chocolate Masters in Paris last year. I was a president for of the jury for taste. I think people are reducing sugar and there are some countries that have higher taxes on products that have over a certain amount of sugar. Personally, I don't agree with synthetic sugars or replacing natural sugars with a synthetic product. But there is opportunity sometimes to reduce sugars. Um, so I think there you, we're seeing some of that. We're seeing um, plant-based options where we never would have seen that in competitions as well. So um, that's really increasing in popularity as well. And, I mean, this whole reducing sugar, this whole sort of health conversation that comes into the world of desserts, I mean, well, <laughs> well I'll just say what I think. I just think... <laughs> Um, surely that's not the problem. Surely desserts aren't the problem when it comes to thinking about healthy eating. But I mean, obviously, these you know reducing sugar and all those kinds of conversations do leak into this world. But what's your view on that? I'm a hundred percent with you. I think that eating in moderation, but I think we also consume a lot of products that we don't know what we're eating. For example, if you have a donut or buy a baked cake from the supermarket, it's more than likely to be made with trans fats, which are really bad for our bodies. And in Australia, they don't have to be labelled. Uh, you don't really know what sugars are incorporated into those products. So I think if you go for a more artisan product, more than likely they've used cane sugar, uh, which is from Australia, Um if rather than reducing sugar, I think that we should eat in moderation. And you're right, there are a lot worse things in the world that we're unaware of what we're eating rather than reducing sugar because where you reduce sugar, you increase fats and you increase chemicals because sugar actually has a scientific effect on certain products. So if we pull back sugar, we can't not replace it with something else. Sugar is also a preservative. So that's a natural product in sugar. So people who think, oh, this is less sugar, that doesn't mean the sugar hasn't been replaced with something either artificial, synthetic or very bad for us. Mm. Um, and Kirsten, just finally, like a, a lot of um, aspiring chefs and patissiers live listen to this podcast. What would you say to someone who's wondering if they can make their way in this world? I think if you're going to enter the industry, only enter the industry if it's going to be a lifelong journey. So think very carefully about it. I think it needs a big commitment, a lot of passion, and you need to be open to the fact that you're 
never going to be fully qualified that you're going to continue to learn throughout your career and that is what you should want to do to enter the industry. I think you should look an apprenticeship rather than doing a course at TAFE and then go to TAFE as a supplement to learning on the job. I always think you'll come out a better professional if you do an apprenticeship over learning in a, a paid environment where it's very restrictive and not really reflective of what we do in industry. Wow, love that. Really wise words. Um, Kirsten, such a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you for um, yeah sharing your story and um, yeah parting with some of your precious time to chat to us today in Dirty Linen. Really fantastic to have the conversation. Thanks so much for having me on, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.